Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're honored that you join us here. Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. We chose that name because we believe that the words and ways of Jesus are very beautiful. And so each week we're bringing content to help make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and dive in to this past Sunday's sermon. Look out on the park today. You know, people are walking around and they're not a part of what we're doing today. And they're looking at what we're doing and they're asking a question. What are these people doing? Why are their hands raised? Who are they singing to? And I want to talk about that today. What does that mean for us? So the question today that's going to rule our time is this. How do we, how do you and I, how does God's church Make the invisible God visible. How do you, when you go to work, when you wake up in the morning, when you're raising your children, when they're making their lunches, when you're going on a date with your spouse, when you're going to get coffee for the fourth time today, how do you make the invisible God visible? I hope if you're here today, maybe maybe some of us feel alone sometimes, but I feel alone a lot. Ever think to yourself, I'm the, I'm the only person who feels that way. I'm the only person who struggles with this. If nobody else is like me, it's just me and I'm alone by myself. And I want you to look around just for a moment. Take a moment, look around. How many churches are there in Bellevue on the east side in Seattle? How many churches are there? Anybody know? There's one church. There's one church, and it's Jesus's church. And so, yes, there are local expressions of that church. There's Kalos, and there's Bel Prez, and there's the 15 churches represented here today, but there's one church. And so, today, church, I'm asking you, how do we do that together? And the answer is not found in my wisdom. It's not found in my ideas or my good stories. They are good, though. It's only found in the Word of God. So I'm going to invite you to stand as I read this passage in honor of God's Word. We're in John chapter 1. It's in your program. I would invite you just to look there. John writes this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came to witness as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, yet to all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. 
The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one who I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only, the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Thanks be to God for his word. You may have a seat. How do we make this invisible God visible? Do we do it by trying harder? Got any try hard followers of Jesus in here? You just say, if I just, you know, just work a little bit more, if I grit my teeth a little bit more, I can white knuckle it, I can fake it till I make it. Is that how we make the invisible God visible? Do we do it by yelling louder? Has anybody noticed that the, 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 the voices have been amplified a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more? Sorry was for effect. But we we as a culture, and especially in the church, we are working our way to make the invisible God visible at times by using our voice and screaming at those who we feel like are against us and our opponents. Do we do it by yelling louder or knowing more? Some of us just feel like if we know the next thing about God, if we learn the next thing, if we go to another Bible study, if we take the next step and we just know more, it's all about head knowledge. Those are all good attempts, but I think ultimately they all fail. We only make our invisible God visible by experiencing Jesus' transformation in our lives. The transformation, the power of God at work by the power of the Holy Spirit in his people and here in this passage, we learn th three things about a Jesus transformation. First, there's an irreducible center. Second, it's an internal work. And third, we must live with incarnational presence. So let's talk about the first. The irreducible center of Jesus transformation is, what's the right Sunday school answer? Jesus. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. You told me something I would have never known. I would have never figured that out. We're here to worship Jesus, and Jesus is the center of a Jesus transformation. He's the what center? What, is, what was that word you just said? Irreducible? So I'm going to read verse 1, and I want where I'm going to say word, I'm going to point at you, and I just want you to all say together, Lagos, okay? In the beginning was the, and the was with God and the was God. Now, John here is using a common word in the New Testament, which has a wide semantic range. Sometimes it can mean to speak, but here it's weightier. He's saying something about Jesus. See, in the Greek philosophers, the Stoics, and Plato and Aristotle, they use this word a lot to talk about the center of the universe, the reason for being the logos. And in the scriptures, it describes God who makes himself known, the revelation of God. And in the beginning was Jesus. Three things we learn, or four things we learn here in these first five verses. John goes on to say, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hasn't overcome it or understood it. Four things we learn here about this logos, this reason for being, this divine communication. One, he was eternally preexistent. Two, he was eternally in relationship with the Father and the Spirit. Three, he was eternally God. And four, he was eternally creator. So if all those things are true, can we minimize who he is? Well, we couldn't really do that. You can't change who I am by saying things about me that aren't true or living in a way that doesn't align or isn't congruent with who I am, nor can I with you. But the text does go on to say that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world. Think about this. Jesus Christ, God in a body, walking around. Imagine if he were here. Jesus walking through Bell Square. Where would he eat? Right? Would he... Would he go across the way to Din Tai Fung? I think Jesus would go to Din Tai Fung. I think Jesus knows good Shalom Bao, okay? He does. He knows. He understands. But what would he do? Would we see him? He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world didn't even know him. He came to his own, the Jewish people, and his own people, even his own people, they had been looking for a Messiah. They had been looking for the Savior for thousands of years. Several thousand years before Jesus came, God made a, pray, a promise to a Bedouin shepherd named Abram. And he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, all of the peoples of the world will be blessed. And so here's Jesus, the one that this promise was about. He's the, the blessing. And even his own people who had been searching the scriptures, who had been looking, who wanted to be obedient, who wanted to know, they didn't see him. Just as people reject Jesus, and just as we're able to live really kind of in denial as the church sometimes of his irreducible greatness, we want to. This is what we want to do. First, the world wants to reject him. They want to make him fit into their pattern. And then what, what I like to do, and I see this in the church a lot, is I want a domesticated Jesus. A God who wants me to be comfortable. Anybody like to be comfortable? I like to be comfortable. A God who supports my political ideals and forwards my aims and agenda. A God whose sole aim is my happiness. A God who won't challenge me for control. A God who will keep me from suffering. A God that we can edit. Sometimes my wife and I get in arguments because we'll be with people and she'll say something and I'll try to edit her. Any, any spouses do this to one another? Don't do it. It's a bad idea. It never works and it ne you never win, but I continue to try to do it. And I want a God sometimes that I can domesticate and I can edit. Tim Keller said, if you worship a God will never disagree with you. You might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. See, you and I want God to be more like our puppy dog than our king. We want Jesus to be someone that we can domesticate rather than someone who's wild. But can we? I can't even domesticate my own dog. So Christmas of 2021, we have three dogs. You saw that, you heard that. Please don't judge me, okay, please. I would ask for, a, a, this is a non-judgmental zone, but we have three dogs. We have 
Rory, who's the oldest. We have Spieth, who's the middle child. And we have Scheffler. So Rory, Spieth, and Scheffler. And Scheffler just came along. So it's Rory and Spieth. It's Christmas of 2021. And I'm making cap steaks, ribeye cap steaks. Does anybody like steak? Yeah? Amen for steak, please? Come on. Are you awake? So I'm making ribeye cap steaks. We have our friends over for dinner Christmas night, 2021. And I've got the, the steaks all seasoned. I've got the grill going. I'm about to put them on. And I've got them in one of those aluminum containers, those prep containers. And I'm going to take them outside. And I hear our friend say, Spieth, what are you doing? And here's Spieth. Spieth weighs 11 and a half pounds. He's a little white Cavachon, Cavalier Bichon mix. He's a little white, cute little puppy. And he's up there and he's got a ribeye in his mouth. And we hadn't noticed what he had been doing, but he had eaten three-fourths of this steak. Now, the steak was at least 12 ounces. Spieth is 11 pounds. You do the math. So my daughter immediately does what anyone with any amount of anxiety would do. She says, he's going to die. I said, no, he's not. He's an animal. Animals eat meat. He's going to be fine. And we looked it up, and he was going to be okay. And I got to tell you, about 30 minutes after he had eaten the steak, I look in our living room, and Spieth is in a steak, a ribeye coma on his back, on one of our chairs with his paws straight up in the air. And he didn't wake up for about 24 hours. Now, I want a dog I can domesticate. I can tell what to do. But you know what? There was something about my dog that I've never loved so much as when he ate that steak. I was like, that's my dog. Guess what he did? I couldn't wait to tell everybody. I have no idea how he could even get that much food in his body. He didn't eat for like three days after that. It was amazing. But guess what? I can't, as much as I try, even domesticate my 11-pound puppy. So why are you trying to domesticate Jesus? Why, church, do we want Jesus to fit our mold? And if there's going to be a Jesus transformation, God's church has got to become enraptured with the person of Jesus. My wife and I, and, and just, just so you know, I'm not going to quote her every time, but there are many, many things I'll say in this message that should be attributed to Liz. Liz and I were talking, and I've, I've, I've coming through this time where COVID was really, it kind of stunk. Did anybody think COVID stunk? And I know it's over and what's COVID and it's way behind us. But it, I, my first Sunday in 2020, when I was preaching at Westminster Chapel, we had just celebrated the, the legacy of Gary and Jory Goldbranson, who I love. And we sent them off and it was my first Sunday in the pulpit at Westminster. And guess what happened? Nobody came to church because we shut church down because there was a pandemic breaking out. And it was my first time as a senior leader in a church. I had no idea what I was doing. No idea. And I came through the pandemic and I made it through the pandemic. But I had a lot of scar tissue. And in fact, I would say there was more fear ruling my mind and my heart and my life than ever before. And only recently has the Lord begun to set me free from those things. So we're talking Liz and I, and I'm just telling her about how I really want to control God. She said, well, Ryan, I don't, I don't think you're comfortable with a God who's wild. And I said, well, wild. Okay, you need to know my theological background. I'm like, does the Bible say it? 
then then only if it says it can I say it. And she said, Ryan, have you ever heard of apophatic theology? Usually in, in our constructs of the way that we talk about God, we say what he is, who he is, his attributes, the omnis, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's love, he's good, and he is all of those things. But you know what God is not? And I have a hard time with this because I want to domesticate him. God is not safe. He's not safe. So if you're looking for a God, he's ordered, but he's not safe. I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis a couple of times here, but they're both from the Narnia series. But Lucy's talking to Mr. Beaver, and this is a conversation you've maybe heard before. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. Or Susan is, I'm sorry. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. There are 100 billion galaxies containing in the millions to the tens of billions of stars in our universe. 100 billion galaxies. Tens to 100 billion stars. So let's do the math for a minute here. 1,000 thousands equal a million, and 1,000 millions equal a billion, and 1,000 billions equal a trillion, and 1,000 trillions equal a quadrillion, and 1,000 quadrillions equal a quintillion, and 1,000 quintillions equal a sextillion, and there may be that many or more stars in the entire universe, and we want Jesus to get on our page. We want to fax him or email him or text him our ideas for what he should be like and say, here's who you are, God, for me. No, your God's not safe, church, but he's good. And Jesus is the irreducible. He's the irreducible center of a Jesus transformation. A Jesus transformation is secondly an internal work. We like behavior modification. And there's nothing wrong with modifying your behavior, changing your behavior. You have a bad habit. You want it to be different. James Clear wrote a book that sold like millions and millions and millions of copies called Atomic Habits. Nothing wrong with a book like that. But Jesus is not after external behavior modification in your life. He wants to change you from the inside out. And a Jesus transformation only happens among his church when we're more focused on what's going on on the inside than what's going on on the outside because an internal transformation trumps behavior modification every day of the week. A modification happens when we make minor or incremental changes without altering the fundamental identity, but transformation is a change in one's very nature, the nature of the entity. It's a very serious question for you. Is the ability to dance genetic or is it learned? I would like to argue that it's both and. However, I would say that if you don't have the genes to have rhythm and to move, you cannot dance. I am a person who should never, ever dance. Friday night, we're at the Mariners game. I love the Mariners. <laughs> the Mariners are the best. Uh, and, and we're at the Mariners game, and I've just decided, like, in talking with another friend who's here, I'm going to borrow his phrase, T-Mobile Park is my happy place. So we go to T-Mobile Park, and a different Ryan comes out, and I'm every, every time there's a, 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 a run scored, 
someone gets a hit. I'm up off my feet when there's music playing. Every time there's music playing, I'm dancing. Now, I should tell you this. In my marriage, if I upset Liz, if I make her mad, one of the ways that I can amend the situation is by singing and dancing at the same time because it just makes her laugh every single time I do it. And so every time I go to a Mariners game now, I'm up dancing. And Liz looks over at me and she says, Ryan, what if you get on the screen? And this, these words, a man of the cloth should not dance like that. Now, I don't know what she was talking about, but it wasn't good. Our niece is here. She's in town. She has the genes to dance. She goes to London and she's in a, in a, in a prestigious dance program in London. And her uncle didn't get the same genes. And so it's like, you know, it's like dad dance over here every time I dance. And it's, it's really a lot better than that when I don't have a mic in my hands because I can really, I can cut the rug. But if I'm going to ever be a good dancer, it's not going to happen because of a modification. Me going to a class or you, if you have rhythm teaching me how to do a step, I can't learn a step. I can't do any of those wedding dances. I can't do line dances. I can't do any of it. I always run into other people when I do. If I'm going to be a dancer, I need a new genetic code. And you're not going to reflect the presence of Christ to people, if you focus on your behavior and modifying it, you are only going to be the presence of Christ to our world when there's an internal transformation happening in your soul. The text says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God, church on the east side, what are we focusing on when we think about spiritual formation, when we think about discipleship and the growth that God wants to happen among us? Some of us are, are living very dry spiritual lives, and I would just encourage you, if, if you're thirsty, go to the well. If you're thirsty, don't say, you know what? I need a drink. I'm going to go find a drink. I'm going to read about how to get a drink. I'm going to find a blog about a drink. I'm going to go to a Bible study where they talk about a drink. No, go to the word of God and drink. We talk about God. We, we go learn about God, but we don't ever come to him. So many of us, so many of us are shriveling spiritually, and God just wants you to take a step into transformation. And thirdly, if there's going to be a Jesus transformation, then we must live with an incarnational presence. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the son from the father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side has made him known. A few movements we're going to have to make here. We're going to have to understand that there are tensions in the gospel. We don't like tension in life. I, I learned to deal with tension in my family of origin by making jokes all the time. So if you're around me and it gets tense, you're going to find me just making really bad jokes nonstop. I try to make people laugh because I don't like to deal with hard stuff. But the gospel is full of grace and it's full of truth. And if we're going to embrace 
the good news of Jesus, we must embrace both of those things. And it means that times in our Christian lives, things won't be black and white like we would like them to be. There will be tension in the way that we treat someone and the way that we steward the truth. The truth is the truth. The, the word of God is what the word of God is. When I talked about how we like to domesticate Jesus, we do that often by accommodating him to our cultural point of view, the spirit of the age. Well, the culture believes this, so Jesus must agree with us. But if Jesus agrees with you, you're worshiping yourself. There's tension in the gospel. And grace and truth aren't mutually exclusive. And I would argue that grace without truth isn't really love. And truth without grace is not the truth. It's a distortion of the truth. It's a weapon. And that's not what God would have us use the truth to be. There are gospel tensions. There are gospel extensions. We are the presence of Jesus. The word became flesh. Think about this. The eternal God, true God of true God, light of light, took on flesh. And in the incarnation, the eternal pre-existent second person of the Trinity, who had always been in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, came to earth. And what did he do? He came and moved into our neighborhood. I don't work at Microsoft. I don't work in the Lake Washington School District. I don't have access to Meta or Google. I don't work at your coffee shop. I don't get to hang out where you hang out. My daughter doesn't play on your kids' sports teams. You and I have the opportunity in a very real way to be the presence of Jesus to our world and to one another. So wherever you are, God has called you to that place. And I want to encourage you to think about that this week. And then finally, an incarnational presence means that we must be expressions of the gospel. Jesus made the Father known. He made the Father's plan for our salvation known. And if he made him known, that means that it was understandable. It wasn't just like he showed up and said, hey, everybody, you know, and then didn't say anything about who he was, what he was here for. We know that. We have his teaching. That's what he did. Have you heard that St. Francis quote before? Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. I like a lot of the things that St. Francis said. I, I'm not sure how I feel about that, honestly. Preach the gospel always because it's always necessary that it be accompanied with communication. So if you're going to tell people about Jesus, make sure that you understand how to do that in a way that it can be received. But just showing up is often not enough in our world. And so if Jesus' transformation is going to happen, it's going to happen because we live also with an incarnational presence. We make the invisible God visible only by experiencing the transformation that Jesus alone brings. Let's pray. God, you are a God of, of power. You are a God of love. You are a God of healing. You are a God of hope. You are a God of victory. You're a God of truth. None of those tensions can be eradicated because we want them to be. And so I pray today, Holy Spirit of God, that you'd search every heart, that you would move in this park. You would move in your church. We, we want to be a picture. We want to make 
the invisible God visible to the world around us. And far too often, Lord, we are striving. So God, I pray that we would cease striving and that we would know that you're God. I pray that we would lean into the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would lean into the truth of the gospel in our lives, God, and that you would raise up your church on the east side to be a picture of Christ, a people who listen and love like Jesus does. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you guys give it up for Pastor Ryan? Man, I love that whole idea of you are how we make the invisible God visible in your area, in your community. And I want to challenge you and push you to do that this week. Another pastor friend of mine says it's like living your life being sent. Everywhere you go, you are sent from God to push his kingdom forward, to make his name known. And I want to encourage you this week to live sent. And speaking of that same idea, there's one person that really, really comes to mind that I want to introduce and have him share his testimony. This is a friend of mine, Blaze, who has just absolutely lived his life sent. He has been helping people that are displaced all over the world and bringing them into community. So everybody, please give it up for Blaze. God is good. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> and all the time, uh, it's a pleasure to be here and to share the testimony, what God is doing all around the world. Every year we do local and global outreach once. And uh, last May, we went to Rwanda. We were training uh, church leaders uh, how to share the gospel outside of the church. We did two hours every day training and then two hours going out to practice what we learn. So we team up three people, every team. In my team, when we went out on the street, I have seen Jesus' transformation happen right on the street. As we were walking, and two of my friends, they asked me, we have we never been outside before to share the gospel. Show us an example today. As we were talking, here comes a man. He was very, very angry in the face. And then they asked me, can you please start with this one? That was a challenge to me. And then I goes, I stopped the man, I say, hi, my name is Blaze. And he say, my name is Purgens. And then I say, God sent me to you. And then he goes like, what? God sent you to me? I say, yes. And then he say, how can I be sure that God sent you to me? <laughs> I don't know what to say. But I say, it looks like you are a man like me. And then he say, yeah, I'm a man. I have a wife and two children. And I say, me too. I have a wife and three children. And then he said, what else? 
and I said, it looks like we are the same age. I said, I don't know, but I'm 37 years old. And I am 37 years old too as well. And surprisingly, when I say I'm 37, he said, you are lying. I bring out my passport. I shout to him. And guess what happened? We find out we have the same birthday. Not only the date and the month. Same year, same month, and same date. And on that day, it was my birthday. And the guy sit down, he started crying, and then he said, what are you going to say to me? I say, God wants you, and he has been looking for you for so long. And the guy started crying, he said, you are right, man. And then he said, I need God now. Can you please pray for me? And we pray for him. And then after prayer, he say, can you please show me a church around here? We were very close to the church. And then I say, when you get a time, God wants you to, to come to the church. He wants to use you. And after that, the guy starts coming to church until now. That day, I have seen the Holy Spirit walking when we obey and go out and share the good news. God bless you. Amen. There's one part of our service every year that I absolutely love. And here in Blaze, how he was talking about working with churches reminded me of this. Um, we want to take a moment and pray for those that help lead our churches. So if you are a pastor, if that's full-time or part-time, if you work in a church, would you stand up? We want to take a moment to pray for you. Everybody, would you guys give these men and women a huge round of applause? These are the people that pour out all the time. They are constantly giving and giving. And we want to take this moment collectively as the body of believers on the East side to say thank you that your work, all of your prayers, all of your tears and the way that you are pouring out does not go unnoticed. It may go unthanked for a season, and it does not go unnoticed. And so right now, if you are around any of these people, if you would lay a hand on them, or if not, if you would just stretch out your hand in the direction of one of these men and women, and would you join me in praying over each of these men and women? God, we thank you. We thank you for these servants of yours. We thank you that these men and women have gone into a vocation to where they are constantly pouring out for us. That they have dedicated their lives to serving your body. God, we pray for these men and women right now that you would be filling them up in such an 
unbelievable, miraculous way, God, that even today they would be walking out of here knowing that they have been anointed and chosen by you, God. Lord, we pray for miraculous wisdom and power and for you to move through these men and women. God, I pray that they would walk out of here today knowing that they are loved and they are appreciated by your body. That we recognize that they have been chosen by you. And God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to just pour out onto them today and through this coming year. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. We'll be back here every week with fresh content. But hey, I want to give you an invitation to our Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you in person. We have multiple service times every single Sunday morning in downtown Bellevue, Washington. If you would be interested in joining us, just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. You can actually even click a link to sign up and save a seat so we can help make sure you feel comfortable coming and hanging out with us in person. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.